Hey, girl, this one's directed by another Jillian with a G. I know, and uh, produced by John Legend. Ah, you guys, it's our best friend's husband. Watch your mouth in this one, girl. We got to keep them on our good side. Hey, girl. <laughs> hey, John. Call me. <laughs> Hey, Patrick Hines. Banana. You guys, before we jump in, if you're looking for more Jillian and me, join us at the Patreon over like 100. I'm going to bump it up. 160 full bonus episodes to download a binge right this second, girl. And if you've been listening for a long time, we have done more than 10 episodes in the last year and a half since you've been saying 150. We're talking Tiger King, Don't F with Cats, Lorena, Making a Murderer, The Jinx. We're in the middle of Night Stalker. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. On the $5 level, we promise you three full bonus episodes every month. Almost every time it's four. Sometimes it's five. We very rarely only do three. (laughs) And they're all ad-free, by the way. They're ad-free versions of these episodes. We're doing after parties. We're hanging out. We're giving you videos every once in a while. Oh, my God. You guys, in the after parties, we are taking your calls. We're doing advice. We're giving you advice for better or worse, girl. (laughs) We are now one of those late-night radio shows. Remember Sleepless in Seattle, where she's driving, Meg Ryan's driving late at night, listening to us, basically. And also, just join the Facebook group, you guys. Come find your true crime best friends. It's just a great place to meet, hang out, talk about the episodes, get suggestions for other documentaries, but also, like, meet and make actual friends. I'm waiting for, like, two people to meet their significant other. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for, like, a Facebook group marriage proposal. I'm waiting for it. Keep us posted, everybody. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Southern rights, which is about segregated proms in Georgia in like 2009. I know. I'm going to play my hand right at the top. I was nervous because John Legend is like the producer on this. And like, we love Chrissy Teigen and we hope that she never like leaves us. And I was afraid like, what happens if we don't like it? Uh I loved this. I loved this documentary. I loved it too. But the panic I felt when you were like, I'm going to say this right at the top. And it's like, what? Oh, oh, is it? Is this over? Like, you could have blown it all up, girl, right now if you said something other than you just wanted to love it. If you were like, you know, those races have a point. I'd be like, it's over. I quit. No. And the other thing I'll say before we play the trailer is just that I thought this was just about segregated prompts. No, this is about a murder as well. Like, there's murder at the center of this. It's such a good documentary. It's great. It's great. Like, stop killing people, everybody. I'm like, don't be racist, God. (laughs) In 2009, I was commissioned to go down to Georgia and photograph the segregated proms. I was told that if my date was going to be black, he wouldn't be let in. I was so mystified how this could still be happening in the 21st century. And little did I know as the film would unravel that there would be so much more than just a story about segregated proms, but really a story about race in general. I always knew that I wanted to return to this town. So I thought that I was making a story about a town coming together to have their first integrated prom and then a tragedy happened. 22-year-old son was taken from me. We've seen this on television a lot lately with young people whose lives did not need to be lost, people who were unarmed in situations where they were thought to be more dangerous than they really were. This film really explores the racial divide. We see it in the criminal justice system, the way people interact in their social lives, and then, of course, in voting as well. My dad is the very first black chief of police, and if he gets sheriff, it'll be really historic. It's a really complicated story, and these are conversations that are hard to have, and I think they're necessary conversations. There are aspects of the ending that say, man, it's the same story over again and nothing's changed. But you see some sense that people might start coming together, and so that gives me some hope. The episode opens with like shots of these kids at their prom, like in the early 2000s. And I just wanted to say, like, prom outfits have come a long way, baby. Yes. (laughs) These kids look good. I remember my prom girl, and I was basically wearing that ruffled tuxedo that like Sophia Petrillo's boyfriends always wear on episodes of The Golden Girls. Yeah. I wore a black dress to my prom. I feel like you were born in a black dress. You got married in a black dress. We're going to bury you in a black dress. Well, yeah, my senior prom, I wore a black dress. I went to the prom as a freshman, too. Oh, yeah. I was talking about this on OWD. I went to every single prom from freshman to senior year because I was the gay kid that, like, you wanted to take if you couldn't get a date. Fun. Yeah. I always say I was in high demand as a chubby, weird-looking gay guy in high school. High demand. You guys don't know your value. (laughs) And you know what? You still didn't even peak in high school. You just went up and up and up. (laughs) 
right, so let's get into this, girl. It opens, we meet this incredible young woman. Her name is Kiki Burns. I love Kiki. I love Kiki. And this filmmaker, his name, her name is Jillian, with a G. So Which I love. That might be confusing for you, but it's the facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we can call her filmmaker Jillian. Sure. Not like I ever say my own name on this podcast. I don't know why I'm hedging like this. But you can tell that Jillian has a really great relationship with a lot of her subjects here because Kiki yeah. says right at the top, she's like, The day you met me, when you asked me, you know, that I go to school, was I in high school, was a prom together, I knew what it was about. And yes, I was excited because finally, you know, story is getting out and hoping for a change. And, you know, I was really excited. My daddy was really excited. We was all just excited. We was just wanted, we really wanted you to see our side. In 2009, Jillian came to Georgia to photograph Montgomery High School's segregated proms. And Kiki right. is like, we're really glad you did this because we really wanted you to see our side. And she's talking yeah. about the black people. Right. I remember when this documentary came out. I remember this. And like learning that there were segregated proms in 2009 in Georgia. It's like, what, what planet are we on? I know. I know. And then before we even really kick this off, we also meet Julie. And Julie is a white girl. And she's like, I got in a lot of trouble with some of the students for trying to integrate it. They told me, what are you doing? It's not the parents. It is us. We don't want it together. And you need to stop trying to do this. I got cussed out. Her boyfriend is black. And she said the white students would not let them come to the prom because of her black boyfriend. And she's like, so we went to the black prom instead because they were okay with it. But she also says, like, I wanted to be clear. It was not the parents that were saying it. It right. was the students. So Kiki's on camera with her lower third, says her name. Then it just says, like, unidentified white woman. And you hear mm -hmm. this high school student being like, This community and this school system is fine like it is. We don't want to change it. We want to live the way our grandparents lived and the way our great-grandparents lived. Why change something that has worked? Just leave it alone. Like, who says these things out loud? It is bananas. Right. Who thinks it's working? Like, who thinks it's all okay? And everybody, including Kiki, who's a black student, is saying, we're all best friends. Like, according to Kiki, there's no racial discord at school. And so it doesn't make any sense to her why they're segregating the prompts. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. So Jillian goes down here, photographs it. Yeah. So we get some on-screen text explaining what happened. And so the photos she took were published in New York Times magazine yeah. hey they got a lot of attention they got yeah. a lot of attention so by the next year the high school felt a ton of pressure and i'm like yeah no <laughs> shit and they decide to change and now integrate the prom so she's like all right i'm gonna go down to georgia and do like a follow-up sort of photo story and photograph the now integrated prom finally in 2010 right in georgia in 2010 it's like a big deal that the proms are integrated i can't get over it but then you guys this is all before we even get the opening title card of the documentary. I was riveted. I was I know, riveted I by what's about to happen. Jillian shows up. You guys, she's like with New York Times Magazine. She's not like some rinky-dink photographer. Like, totally. she's legit. She shows up to photograph the prom and like, since like, there had been such an, an uproar in that community after the first time she did it, she gets stopped by these parents at the high school. First, some like lady is leaning in the window screaming at her. Hey, hey. ma'am, do not put that in my face. And the problem is you are not supposed to be on school property unless you are signed in. Hey. Then some dude leans in the window and like, I, I just wrote, hits her, question mark, grabs her camera, question mark. What newspaper are you with? This is our property. No, 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 no. no, no you got problems. You got problems, honey. Sorry, his name is Clarence Sanders. He's the county sheriff. Give him a goog. Flood his DMs. S-A-N-D-E-R-S. Whatever you got to do to contact this guy. Clarence Sanders. Louder <laughs> for the people in the back. And he's super aggressive right away. Oh and he's God. like in her car in the window. And he's like, what newspaper are you with? And she's like, wait, <laughs> what? Then suddenly, like uh, suddenly, yeah. he grabs Jillian and the camera. She is screaming. She's terrified. Yeah. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. No, no. Yeah, what are you yeah. doing? What are you doing? And the screen is black because I don't know if it's a camera phone or what, but it's on the seat of her car. Yeah, we yeah. don't see what's happening. We just hear like the rustling and like the commotion on the camera. She is screaming for her life. Yes. She's screaming, no, no, no. What are you doing? Then sit Clarence Sanders <laughs> says, you got problems, honey. And Jillian is like, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to go. And then the on-screen text just goes, but then I stumbled on a more complicated story with thunder rumbling. And I'm like, Jillian. 
Hamilton, hook, line, and sinker. I am it. Girl. This editing is genius. So we meet Calvin Birds, and he's a black guy, and he's sitting yeah. there, and he's like, This is South Georgia. The further you go north, Atlanta, everything's pretty well normal. The further you go south, Miami, everything's pretty well normal. This is middle Georgia, Mount Vernon, Georgia. Things gonna stay the way it is. We are in the middle of Georgia. Things are just never going to change. And yeah. he says it with kind of like a smirk, but then cut immediately. Jillian, you or your editor, incredible. Because we see there's like a woman in a Confederate flag jacket. She's like a kid. She's like a 15-year-old yeah. girl. All these people that run around screaming the Confederate flag is racist, in my opinion, they're not stupid. They're ignorant because ignorance is the absence of really knowing what happened. I'm not going to hide it for nobody. If I wanted to show the rebel flag, I'm going to because that's my heritage. She's like, that's just the way it is down here. It's not racist. It's just Southern way. And I'm like, two <laughs> things could be true at once, lady. Like, that's racist. This girl, she's wearing a Confederate flag jacket saying, uh -huh. I'm going to call them ignorant because ignorance is the absence of knowing what happened. Girl. You guys, the irony girl. of that moment, <laughs> the irony of this white girl wearing a Confederate flag calling people who don't like that ignorant because they don't know what happened. I was screaming about this and she knows that she's full of shit like on some level right, she knows she's right. full of shit because she calls it the rebel flag I know I know I know we meet someone who is just the epitome of someone who will not listen and yeah. just want to stick in their racist ways because they think like that's the way it should be he basically becomes for lack of a better term the star of this documentary we will drag him momentarily oh my god and then after we see this idiot like full stop defending the confederate flag I don't care if she's a kid she's an idiot and she's a right. racist but we're back to Calvin and Calvin who is just named more locations that are less racist than Mount Vernon, <laughs> Georgia. He's just naming cities. <laughs> and we're going to learn this guy really loves this town. Calvin is awesome. We'll get to yeah. him in a second. But like we're finally, finally at like the official opening of this documentary and it <sighs> opens with this 911 call out of the fucking Twilight Zone. 911. Uh, I need a, I need a deputy to come out to my house, please. Is right? this Mr. Neesman? Yeah. You and your daughter? No, no, no. No. A friend of hers that was over here. No, Danielle's okay. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, but I, but I need, but I need to if you come out here, because I think I heard one of them. The 911 operator answers the phone as though she's been woken from, like, the soundest sleep. And I get the sense that this town is so small, she actually is asleep in bed, and that's where she does her 911 dispatching job. It's her home phone number, just <laughs> directly to Cheryl. And what really struck me here, if you're the 911 dispatcher in a documentary, things probably didn't go well. So right. our job is to talk about the documentary, and we've apologized for kind of coming pretty hard at 911 operators yeah. a little bit. Right, like, it's a hard job. If you don't end up in a documentary, you're probably doing it right. Right. But here's what happens. Yeah. This guy, Norman Neesmith, is calling and asking for a deputy to come out to his house. And the operator knows who he is. <laughs> this is the nicest, most coddling, I most know. bullshit operator I think we've ever come across. Because I she's know. like, oh, Norman, sweetheart, what's wrong? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I had a little trouble. Had a little trouble. And the operator's like, oh, is your daughter Danielle okay? I like, know. They know each other very well. And Norman's like, oh, no, 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 no. Danielle's fine. And the operator's like, oh, well, sure. Sugar, that's good to hear. And I'm like, ma'am, obviously something is wrong if he's calling 911. Can we fucking focus? You're not at a reunion. He, if he's calling 911, where's the urgency for fuck's sake? And the operator is like, what'd you do, Mr. Norman? What do you do, Mr. Norman? <laughs> I hate to say it, but I shot him. You think you shot him? Yeah. You don't know who it was, Mr. Norman? It was just a, a black boy. It was a black boy? Yeah. Is he still there? Uh, he hit the woods. He hit the woods? Yeah. And the operator asks who he shot. Norman Neesmith says it was just a black boy. And I am I know. incensed. But 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 they, uh, the incensitude goes even farther because she asks him if he's okay and if he yes. needs an ambulance for him. Do you need an ambulance, Mr. Norman? No, no. It's, I'm just okay. all straight up, you know. Okay. He is acting like a shy little kid. She yeah. is coddling him. Like, let's all take care of the old racist white guy. And I guess I am not taking care of anybody. No. Especially Norman Neesmith, who's here with us. And he looks like a fucking miserable human being. He's scowling. His arms are crossed. He's pissed at the world. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Thanks a lot, John Legend. But also, thank you. Thank you. But no, really, thank you. But no, really, thank you, John Legend. No, no, no. Never change. Never change. Oh, oh. And the other thing about this guy, Norman, you guys, 
because I've been trained by Jillian, I now watch all of these documentaries with the subtitles on. I accidentally turned the subtitles off at one point and I could not understand a single person in this documentary. We're going to try to play clips because that's what we do, but, but, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Hold on to your butts, everybody. We're going to see how it goes. Yeah. And of course I wrote down everything. I have 80 pages of notes, so it's fine. <laughs> And so now we learn about the person that got shot. And his name was Justin Patterson. And we're back with Kiki. Remember Kiki from the beginning, who we love? She is just saying that... My first love was Justin Patterson. I was 14. He was my ninth grade homecoming date. We dated, like, straight on for, like, two years. And then on and off my whole high school career until 12th grade. And Kiki goes... Justin Patterson was my first everything. And then she, like, looks right at the camera and goes... Everything. <laughs> well, she and Jillian have a cool friendship. And yeah. when I when I wrote down the second everything in my notes, there was a space between every letter where she was like, everything. But she's like cute about it. Totally. They were in love. They were each other's first loves. And Kiki is saying that like when she learned that Justin died, her mom woke her up and told her and she was just in shock and couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, I mean, like that was the end result of that 911 call. Like that Norman, racist Norman guy shot this Justin kid and he died soon thereafter. Right. And so, we're back with Norman, the guy who killed Justin. We're on his porch. And like, this is just what, I don't know. This is what I imagine mm -hmm. old, white, conservative men do all the time. They just pontificate about how they've never been scared of anybody. I ain't never been scared. I ain't bragging or nothing, but the, the person I'm scared of ain't been born yet. I ain't never been scared of nobody. You know, really scared. You know, I'm not bragging, but I've never once been scared in my entire life. And the thing is, yeah. I think Norman is terrified. Right. Norman is so scared of the world and everything outside his teeny, teeny, tiny bubble. He is so scared of, of the unknown and yes. anything that's not his little racist life. Norman, you're terrified. I'm saying it right to your face. But I got to tell you, we learn an interesting detail about Norman. We learn that Norman has a daughter named Danielle and she's black or she's by racial that's how she describes herself eventually when we meet her but like norman is telling us my my niece is her mama i was working at night when i came home i said who's, who's the little baby and she said your niece brought her and i said who so i had to think a while you know to figure it out i said but what did she say and she wanted to leave the baby till she got straightened out every 21 years ago she never got straightened out i don't reckon one night in the middle of the night, his niece showed up at his home with her like four month old daughter and basically was like, here, take this, bye. And went to get herself like, quote, straightened out, but never came back. Right. And Norman says, I raised her knowing she was black. It didn't matter. And I right. feel like Norman right. wants a medal for this. I know. And I'm not going to give him one. I agree. But I do see how this complicates things a little bit because Norman does talk about what he lost having a black daughter. He lost friends. People stopped talking to him and so even though like that alone doesn't make him a good person I think that we are meant to understand that Norman can't tell us that he doesn't think racism exists we know that Norman right. knows that racism exists because right. he's experienced it I just wanted to have a conversation with himself a little bit where it's like Norman you've experienced some of this we, right. we can be honest about what the world is like right yeah. instead of him pontificating about like I miss the days where men just shook hands right. <laughs> I remember when a head shake a handshake with a man's bone that was it a handshake was the best, the best guarantee about anybody you could ever get. If that man shook your hand, that was it. That was the deal. That was done. Sometimes we have a conversation, you'd shake hands, and that would be it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? But Norman says to us, like, speaking about Danielle. And I love her to this day. No matter what she's done, I, I still love her. If she caused all this, I still love her. You know? she. I raised her as my child. She and I can't turn my back all the way on her. Not 100%. I can't do it. Even if she caused all this. And I just wrote, oh, God, what do you think she did? Like, what do you think she caused? Like, what are you blaming yeah. on her? You know what I mean? Right. So... We meet a couple of people here. We're about to learn what happened that night. Norman victim blames left, right, and center. And we also meet Justin, who is the victim here. His mom is Dee Dee Patterson. And his brother, Justin's younger brother, is Siobhan. So we immediately, Jillian, uh, Jillian the filmmaker, not me. I do not right. speak about myself in the third person. I actually have a rule against that. Um, I don't like when other people do it. Um, so she asks him, Norman, Level with me, girl. What the hell happened? Like, what? Yeah. Like, why am I here? Why am yeah. I here talking to you, Norman? Let me know. And he's just like... You didn't go to people's house. 
unless they knew you was there. You didn't go up to nobody's house and walk in if the door was open. You got permission to do that. That's something you didn't do. You don't walk into someone's house without permission. And I'm like, okay, someone's a little scared of black people. Exactly. So we know from that, that like the reason this kid got shot in his house is because apparently he was there without Norman's permission. And it cuts back to Justin's mom. And this is where we start to hear a lot of different voices sort of telling the story of what happened that night. And Justin's mom is saying, Justin had just met this girl two days ago on Facebook. And, um, you know, Siobhan was sharing with me that that night the girls called him and wanted Justin to come over. These two girls wanted Justin to come over. And so Justin brings his little brother, Siobhan. They get in the car. They get directions from the girls. They go to Norman's house. They park across the street and park at an onion farm. I said, oh. Which Norman is obsessed with for some reason. For some reason, this is yet another perfectly logical reason to kill somebody because they parked across the street at the onion farm. And I'm like, Norman, the questions for me start at, what's an onion farm like? Like, there's a whole farm dedicated just to onions. You're not going to grow a little corn? Well, no, because I feel like the onions are pungent. Okay. Right? And so you want to keep them separate. I That I understand. <laughs> See, this is, you only keep things separate when it's like food or right. things that can actually, like you don't do it with people. No. Keep the onions separate so they can grow and be their onion selves. But that doesn't work with like real human beings. Right? Wow, that was a real, that was a really well taught life lesson, GP. I'm really impressed. <laughs> you think that idiot in the Confederate flag jacket heard me or? No, she's, I'm like, I'm assuming she's not like a lady paid at the five. I don't think she's like a big TCO fan. I don't think. Shocking. I know. Shocking. <laughs> so Norman is saying like They knew it was wrong. If they didn't know it was wrong, why would they park over there and hide the car and walk over here? Look, the fact that the kids like hid their car at the onion farm instead of like parking right in front of our house is proof that they knew that what they were doing was wrong. And so Justin's dad says the girls come out of the house to meet them and the girls invited Justin and Siobhan into the house. That seems to be a big point, like pointing out, proving that like they were invited guests in this home. They didn't break in. They weren't sneaking in. Like the two girls who were there invited them in. They thought they were welcome there. Right. And again, just to be clear, one of those girls is Danny. Yell, Norman's adopted daughter, right? So as we're hearing the story from Justin's family and friends. I'm sorry. I'm just flashing back to you. You're making the point about how you keep the vegetables separate, but not the people. (laughs) It seems so simple. (laughs) It's just ridiculous to segregate human yeah. beings. No, segregate the vegetables. You guys are doing segregation wrong. Yeah, honestly, and look, I, I could be, I'm sure there's a farmer out there that's like, no, that's not why we separate the onions. I am ready to be educated, totally. but here's what I know. And I will die on this hill. Segregation is bullshit. Hot take? Yeah. No, no. Do you think Chrissy got John to listen to this episode? He's like, fine, I will give that loud woman and that screaming queen one episode and it's going to be the movie I made. My whole theory about Chrissy Teigen and John Legend and their feelings about True Crime Obsessed are this. Okay. You guys pull over! Pull over! John Legend loves Chrissy Teigen so much yes. that he is like, oh, that's nice. You like this podcast. And she's like, no, John, like this is funny. And then he nicely, because he loves her so much and he's nice and perfect in John Legend, uh-huh. he will give us a shot and he won't laugh as much as Chrissy wants him to and then she spends a lot of the time pausing and explaining why she thinks this is funny to John Legend who nicely is like okay Chrissy I love you like I like you should have this Chrissy like I'm happy that they make you happy but I don't have to think that they're funny and she's like no John here's why and then they have their first fight (laughs) the end Oh, my God. Chrissy, is that right? Let us know. Yeah, true. How, how, how off base am I, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen? But I nailed the segregation thing. I got to say, I nailed the segregation thing. Look, you can only be right about so much in every episode. Do you know what I mean? So back to Norman. Norman is now saying that, like, this is definitely not the first time these two boys snuck into somebody's house because you never get caught the first time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? And as he's going on and on, he says what every racist says. Color has nothing to do with it. Yep. And then he doubles down what every like 2020 racist says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They blame it on like the the climate of the country. He's like, the color has nothing to do with it. And when people understand that, that this country will be a whole lot better off. We ain't living in the 1920s again. If people could just understand that there's no racism, this country would be a whole lot better off. And I'm like, Norman? (laughs) 
You're wrong again. I hate to tell you. You're wrong again. I have notes. So we're back with Justin's mom. Justin and the 19-year-old, I think her name may have been Danielle. They went into her bedroom, and Siobhan and the other girl that was in the house went into another bedroom. And, like, the boys did not know that Norman was home, right? Like, it's the middle of the night. It's, like, 3 in the morning. So, like, I will say this was not good planning on anybody's part. Like, maybe don't come over in the middle of the night. Maybe, like, the girls should let him know that the dad is home. Like, I can remember a time that I brought friends over in the middle of the night when I was in high school and my mom woke up and got mad. Nobody got shot, girl. Nobody got shot in that scenario. Because your mom, unlike Norman, didn't sleep with a gun on the nightstand. Which is just never a good sign. What if my mother, liberal lesbian Pam Parker, sleeps with a gun on her nightstand every night? I'd have a lot of questions, quite frankly. (laughs) The point is, they say, you know, Danielle was 19 and the kids were sneaking in and they were hooking up. They were teenagers and they were each in each other's bedrooms. This is not victim blaming. It's just like kids making bad decisions. It's what happens. And then like Norman should have been the adult in the room and said, wait a second, you go home. Danielle, I'm going to have a word with you. This is not okay. You can't sneak in at three in the morning and go into your bedroom. Like that's not that's not allowed. What he chose to do is shoot and kill a black person. Right. So he wakes up, gets his gun. And this is where we start getting very sides of what people say happen. Norman tells the story like he was very nice to everybody and that what happened was he like... But that that might be the hardest you've ever made me laugh because it's just such (laughs) bullshit. And he like calls the boys into the living room is trying to have a conversation with him and Justin rushed at him and knocked him down and that's why he shot him and then like Justin's family side of the story is that Justin and Siobhan were like forced into the living room at gunpoint and then held against their will at gunpoint while Norman taunts them and literally tells them to their faces that he could kill both of them right now and get away with it. He told Justin and Siobhan that he could kill them. He said he can kill us both. He wouldn't get in trouble. And Norman's like, okay, fine. Yes, I had a gun. Fine. I had a gun. But Norman, the person who's never been scared of anyone in his entire life and wants that to be the first thing we know about him, is then also saying, these are two young muscular boys. I can't fight them. I'm on disability. And I'm like, who's fighting? Why are we going right to a fight? Why? Like, Use your words, Norman. Use your words. (laughs) Idiot. And Justin's dad's like, "Uh, Justin was 110 pounds. You are a 300 pound ox. And and the adult. Like... (laughs) the adults totally and so like nobody believes that side of the story and and i gotta tell you guys like we don't ever get a definitive telling of what exactly happened all we know is that at some point justin gets shot trying to get out of the house and was shot from behind shot in the side which is basically like he wasn't coming at norman he was obviously like trying to get away from norman when he was shot right yeah and then like he and siobhan run into the woods and that's where like justin falls and dies Justin fell, and he told Siobhan that he wasn't going to make it. And Siobhan, at that point, didn't want to leave him there because he 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 wanted to take him. But as he was trying to, to get Justin up, Justin was dying right there in his arms. And Justin just told him to run. He's going to come after you. And it's heartbreaking to hear. And we hear this from Justin's family and they're all here and they just like, they're in so much pain and it just like, it just makes me so mad. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. So we get this on-screen text that tells us that Norman was charged with seven counts and is facing life plus 60 years in prison. So it's felony murder, malice murder, voluntary manslaughter, two counts of kidnapping and two counts of aggravated assault. Two counts of kidnapping. Like that's like beyond the murder, that's what really stood out to me. Like he forced those boys to stay there at gunpoint and terrorized them before he killed one of them. Yeah, and I don't know if this was the the intention of the court, but at first I was like, to their credit, they were kind of saying, how many different ways can we say this guy murdered Justin? Right. Felony murder, <laughs> malice murder, manslaughter, kidnap, and I'm like, okay, all right, right. maybe we won't right. have a terrible ending. So we take a break from this story for a minute and we are going now to like, we're going to learn more about Calvin Burns. He was the one that was like, Miami is normal. Atlanta is normal. (laughs) Anywhere but here is normal. Just like (laughs) listing off cities about like who's less racist. And he's also our our best friend Kiki. He's her dad. Yeah. That's like the big reveal. Kiki from the beginning, who was also Justin's like first love and girlfriend and that whole deal. Like it's all connected. We love Calvin and his family. And Calvin is campaigning to become Montgomery County's first black sheriff. He's currently the chief 
chief of police and he's the county's first black chief of police but like he's campaigning I love Kiki as like his little like campaign sidekick their family is fucking the best she's excellent at this if she wants a future in this she really does have a future of just like changing the political spectrum as we know it I mean she's incredible but Kiki also like takes no bullshit and I I love so so we get a lot of little moments like this and she says someone spray painted the sheriff on one of the signs and Ailey you weren't surprised no we weren't surprised at all we was actually expecting that we knew we didn't think nobody was going to spray paint a sign but we knew something of that sort was going to happen surprised that was the only one we seen someone vandalized a sign of my dad's and she's like they use the n-word and they expected this but Kiki of course finds the humor in it she was like they misspelled the n-word so come on like why why am I even gonna take them seriously Kiki you're amazing call (laughs) and Calvin says too he's like it's not really about being the first black sheriff that is great like he understands the weight of that but he's like it ain't the point about being the first black sheriff it's the point about making this community better and I know I can I just think I'm the best person for the job. You know, when it comes down to it, I can do this job a lot better than the current guy. Just saying. I get it. But I was like, can it also be a little bit about being the first black sheriff? Like, that's important, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. In in my mind, it's both. But I do love that he's like, I'm just better at it. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be really good at this. He's like, me and the current sheriff, we get along great. I just know I can do the job better than him. And I just wrote, I was like, I need Alexander Pelosi to come in and make like a full length documentary about this campaign. Like, I would follow it documentary just about Calvin's campaign to be the sheriff for 90 straight minutes. Yeah, I would let, as long as she let Calvin and Kiki do most of the talking. <laughs> it's their story. Alex Pelosi tends to make it about her. Less less you, Alex, more them. Yeah, go listen to Ted Haggard if you want to know <laughs> what exactly what we're talking about. Chrissy, are you caught up? Did you listen to Ted Haggard yet? Play it for John. Let us know. <laughs> Oh, and then Kiki, like, you know, we're with Kiki in the car. And she also says, like, like how Norma was like, I'm not afraid of anything. Kiki says, I'm not scared of anything. The only thing I'm scared of is somebody having something negative to say, and I have to bite my tongue. Like, that's just the only thing that gets me, because I don't like to bite my tongue at all. My only fear is that I won't be able to keep my mouth shut when garbage people say garbage things to me. But other than that, and I'm like, hi, Kiki. I know. (laughs) I feel seen by you. I know. (laughs) You want a podcast? Kiki, come work with us. But she's like, she's on the campaign trail. She's driving around, like, literally talking to citizens. It's like that awesome door knocking thing that's, like, totally effective. She's putting, like, her dad's signs in people's yards. There's so much support for him. Like, everybody loves this guy in this town, it seems. Hey, my name is Kiki Burns, and my daddy's Kevin Burns, and he's running for sheriff. I know that's what I'm voting for. Okay, cool. So can we put a sign like in front of your door or something? The people that she slash we are talking to, they're just like, yeah, he uh, has the most experience and he treats people with respect. Why wouldn't I vote for him? And she's like, great. So I'm going to put a sign on your ass. She's already like hammering the sign into the lawn. And Jillian is driving with Kiki. Yes. And again, they've like bonded super hard because Jillian straight up asked, she's in the passenger seat and she asked Kiki and she's like, Kiki, your dad isn't super thrilled that I'm documenting all this. Do you know right. why? And Kiki, like in the middle of checking her blind spot, not skipping a beat, <laughs> she's driving and she goes, he don't want you around because really no one likes you. Not, not, I'm not gonna say no one likes you, but a lot of whites don't like you because of what you do. Um, He feel like if people see you at his house or see him talking to you, then they will stay that he's a part of you trying to he's a part of you trying to bring the racism out and they're not going to vote for him. Well, because no one likes you. Right. And she goes, well, maybe not like no one, but I mean, white people definitely don't like you because you came down here and called them out for their racism. So yeah, my dad, like no one likes you, girl. And I'm like, Kiki, you're amazing. Because her, Kiki's point is that my dad's running for like public office. And so like, even though you pointed out the racism and you were right to do that, my dad still needs their votes. So like, he likes right. you. He's just like, can't really be seen with you, girl. Right. And I feel like Jillian thinks, yeah, okay, I that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, Jillian wants him to win the sheriff shift. But both Jillians, both Jillians here, me Wait, Jill- <laughs> and our filmmaker. <laughs> All right, you guys, we're back to the Norman, like the Norman shot that black kid situation. Mm-hmm. We're like gearing up for the trial and we meet Norman's lawyers. And the first one we meet uh. is Tina. And like the first thing that Tina says, Norman's a good guy. Norman was a good guy. Like Tina. Tina, Tina, Tina. I know. And, and the other defense attorney is Lance. So it's Tina and Lance. They're on team Norman yeah. being racist AF. But the thing is, I don't ever really hear Lance say anything in defense of Norman. I was kind of trying 
kind of follow what he was. I was like, wait, everything you're saying is like, no, this guy should go to jail. No, this guy definitely did it. <laughs> there are definitely some points where I'm like, wait, did I write that down and go I back know. and reread what his lower third was? Because I'm like, why is the guy defending the racist trying to make a little bit of sense? Why does he make a little bit of sense to me? Right, because this guy, Lance Hamilton, the defense attorney, is saying everyone just thought that Norman was this old redneck man who shot a black kid. And I was like, yeah, like, that's right. Like, that is what everyone thinks. Right. But then Lance is saying, like, there were any number of folks that believe that there was self-defense involved in this. But if you look at the technicalities of the law, self-defense goes away when somebody is attempting to escape, that they're no longer a threat. He's like, once people run away from you, which is what Justin and Siobhan were doing, it no longer becomes self-defense. So then I was waiting for Lance to give us the counter as to why the, the shooting was still justified, and he never does it. Totally. Because Tina's here to just run her mouth with some bullshit, honestly. And she's like, look, okay, fine. Norman was reckless. He killed an innocent black kid. Honestly, right. it happens here in Georgia all the time. And she's like, look, the whole night was a series of mistakes. And here comes the victim blaming. She's like, they had initially met up in this bedroom, smoked a blunt, a marijuana blunt. They were smoking a marijuana blunt, okay? <laughs> she says a blunt, a marijuana blunt. Uh, and Tina eye rolls, and I'm like, Tina, put your eye roll away, because I, I need room for mine. Get out of here. And Tina looks at us, and with a straight face, is really like, It's really important to know that Norman had had other young men who were black visit his child. He let children of all kinds come visit. They didn't do it at three o'clock in the morning because that's not the time to visit. It's very important for all of us to know that there have been black people in Norman's home before and he didn't shoot them, okay? Right. Case closed. I don't know. This is a waste of my time, your time, and the court's time. He has been around black people and he didn't kill them. Right. So clearly, you don't know Norman like I know Norman, okay? He's only killed one black person. Just one. So really, where's the crime? And I'm like, Tina, girl, w watch it. And throughout all of throughout all of this, I'm screaming, where is Danielle? Where is the adopted daughter who invited these yes. boys in her home? Like we're talking to all these people and Danielle is just like, she needs to take responsibility for inviting them over. She gave them directions. Like what is her side of the story here? Yeah. And guess what, you guys, we're going to get it in a little bit. And it's not what you think. It's just it's not, not at all. It does not go as expected. Ugh. So it, it's now the week of Norman's trial. And this is fucking crazy. We learn that like the day that Justin's parents think they're going to start selecting a jury for this trial, they are called and told by the prosecutors without having been asked for any input on this. They are told by the prosecutors that they are accepting a plea offer. Mm -hmm. We don't even know what the plea offer is yet, but everyone is just a fucking wreck. They told us that the DA and Norman e. Smith's lawyers had worked out a plea bargain. Something we didn't know nothing about, wasn't informed about. If so, I would have never went with that. I would have went to trial. I would have fought for justice for my son. I don't understand how this happens without the, the family's, at least the family's input, you know? Yeah, or telling them, look, you're never going to win this case if we go to trial, so here's what we're going to do, and you might disagree, but this is really the only way you can do it. Not even that. Yeah. So here's what Norman agreed to. Norman yeah. agreed to plead guilty to one count of involuntary manslaughter. Involuntary, you guys. That, that's like an accident. That's like when you kill somebody by accident, which even Norman says he didn't do. Even Norman says he shot this guy on fucking purpose. Right, and one one count of reckless conduct, which led to the involuntary manslaughter. Like, he killed somebody. Yeah. He killed somebody, everybody. And the district attorney prosecuting this case is recommending a sentence of one year in a detention center. And they say detention center over and over again. I'm assuming that that means it's nicer than a fucking prison. I don't know. It seems like an old folks home for fucking assholes like Norman. Right. Like, racist murderers. And then even, like, th what's even worse, too, it's now up to the judge to accept the plea deal or not at the sentence. So now it's like it all lies in the hands of some judge. You know, the family takes some solace in that because the family is going to lay out the judge's options for us that either they can accept it, they can completely reject the plea offer, or they can accept the plea but give him more time. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, we've right. done a million of these documentaries. Like, these plea bargains are meant to expedite the process. The judge is just going to say, like, you lawyers agree and you lawyers agree. Like, that is what it is. I know. And because and even in my notes, like, we're in court, Justin's family here 
here. Garbage Norman walks in and Judge Kathy Palmer. And I have in my notes, do the right thing, girl. Come on, do the right thing, please. Are you ready to get even more angry, girl? Are you ready? Girl, look, I showed up to work today. I did my stretches. Let's go. What's up? What's new? Because then the fucking garbage judge asked Norman if he has anything to say. He says he wants to speak directly to the family. The judge should not allow that. Norman right. turns to the family and I swear to God, you guys, he actually wants the Western music playing underneath him as he gives a speech to the family, an unintelligible speech. I am not convinced they understood what he said. I didn't. But I needed the closed captions for it. And he is saying, I'm sorry that your son died that night, but a part of me died that night too. Uh, the look on his face, he expects to be completely absolved of this by Justin's family for saying that. All he does is shrug and say, I'm sorry it happened, but it happened. And this yeah. hurt me too. He makes it yeah. about himself and he just keeps repeating a part of me died too a part, which is the most infuriating thing and he just he literally shrugs his shoulders like it happened like like it happened to everyone like some some supernatural force took the gun next to his bed and just you know I don't know what happened the gun went off no you ran these two black kids out of your house and you wanted to kill both of them but you're such a bad shot you didn't right I mean like if this wasn't clear he fired shot after shot after shot including after they like left the house he was trying to kill both of them and they weren't warning shots you right. like they weren't up in the air he was shooting to kill these yeah. boys these yeah. black boys so the judge does not, like, as expected by me, the judge does not do anything but accept what has been prearranged. He's going right. to get one one year in a detention center for killing this kid in cold blood. And Dee Dee has to be dragged by her friends to her car in the parking lot. She's, like, being carried out. Yeah. It's like a scene in the parking lot. And I'm not saying that with any shade. It's just, like, this woman, yeah. like, the, her worst, her first of all, her worst fear was her son being killed by a white guy, right? She says as much. Of course. And then on on top of that, after that totally traumatic thing happens, her second worst fear is that nothing happens to the guy who did it. Right. So both of those horrible, nightmarish situations happen to her. So after this, like, shit show at court, Jillian with a G, the, the director, tracks down Danielle. Danielle is Norman's adopted daughter. She's the girl at the center of this whole thing. She and her, like, friend invited over the boys. Like, we're finally meeting her. My dad's never showed any kind of anger toward anyone. I mean, he wouldn't hurt a fly. He's just big old teddy bear. He might look like he's mean, but he's a teddy bear. You couldn't meet anybody softer than my dad. And here's the thing, like you think the point of this interview is to get from Danielle the definitive story of what happened that night. Remember, Norman's story is that he was super nice to these boys and was just asking them questions. Justin lunged at him and that's why he shot him. Justin's family's story is that he held them against their like will at gunpoint and when they were trying to escape the house via a locked door that they couldn't open, that's when he shot them in cold blood and then just kept shooting. Right, and so I'm waiting, just like you, alright Danielle, what's your side of the story? And we we spend a lot of time with Danielle and her emotions, and that's yeah. valid. I mean, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, just sitting there shivering and shaking, and I, my boyfriend's like, wakes up like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing, I'm just having nightmares again, just go back to sleep. And he'll be like, all right, he said, just accept it, and you know, maybe you won't have the nightmares anymore. I said, it's kind of hard to accept it after you done accepted what happened and you're still having the nightmares. I said, whenever you see something like that, you just can't forget it. It's gonna stick with you for a while. I want more from her. Like, I understand she's sad and she's been through a lot, but stop defending Norman, yeah. and can you just Tell us what happened. And Jillian, girl, I love you, but what happened there? Why Why wasn't that asked? Jillian's first question is, I want to go back to that night. And then we don't get a single other question from Jillian in this entire section. We get Danielle explaining. And like Danielle is walking a very fine line because she loved Justin and she misses him. And we also find out that they had known each other before. So like the night that Justin came over, they hadn't seen each other in a while. But she had right. known him for a long time and had had feelings for him. But she also still very much loved her father, Norman, and still wants to have a relationship with him. So she's threading a very fine needle, but like, I need to know, like, was your dad holding them against their will? Did Justin lunge at your dad? Or did Justin run for his life and your dad shot him in the back? Like, I need an answer. Yeah, and all she says about that is, if it couldn't ever happen and if I could take it all back, I would. I should have been stepped up and, you know, stopped everything before it even got to where it got, but I didn't. And the fact that I didn't, like I said, that's what makes me feel like all of it's my fault because I didn't do anything about it. I didn't try to stop it. I went along with it. 
she says, I didn't try to stop it and I went along with it. Danielle, what is it? I know. What are you talking about? <laughs> I need more from you. I know. I'm sorry, Jillian. You should have asked more. It's very weird to say that, to say I my know. name like that <laughs> in, in this kind of way. Um, it's interesting. But I needed more from that conversation. I, it was kind of like, wait, we're finally here with her and now this. Great. John, can we have the outtakes? John, sweetheart. So, you know, he like literally Norman serves his one year sentence. Like we get the on screen text that says 365 days and he gets out has not learned his lesson. He is not remorseful. He still cannot stop talking about how the murder of this 19-year-old boy has ruined his life. This mess has cost me two years of my life. And that boy's daddy sat up in that courtroom and how bad they hate to go to the cemetery and all that. What the hell they think it done to me? Like I told him in the courtroom out there, and you probably remember. I said, you keep talking about, you know, your, the loss you got for your son and stuff. I said, when your son died that night, a big part of me died too. Yeah, and he almost is angrier about the situation. They didn't respect me. They knocked my kitchen table over. Like, Norman, yeah. priorities, girl. Oh, no, girl, he doesn't call it his kitchen table. He calls it his eating table. Even worse. Norman, like, you are the worst. Norman, you suck. Norman, I don't like you. <laughs> if you've made it this far in the episode and you're still confused about how I feel, not a fan of Norman. What if Norman is sitting on his couch with his AirPods and his iPhone listening to this episode of True Crime? He's not. <laughs> I was going to say this till the end, but he's dead. No. <laughs> When did he die? He died in uh, November of 2020 from after an extended illness. He's dead. Oh. And I feel nothing. Okay. <laughs> and you guys, it ends with, remember remember, awesome Calvin? Yeah. He's the chief of police who was running for sheriff. Well, we skipped over this part, but he won the primary like by a landslide. So against all the other Democrats, it was like 800 votes for him and like 100 votes for everybody else. Right. And so everyone thought he was going to win, and then he doesn't. Calvin has like 30 years of experience. He's the fucking chief of police. Yeah. And the guy he was running against has absolutely no policing experience at all, and the other guy wins by 100 votes. This is very Hillary and Trump. Someone with experience and who's worked in government or some white guy who has has zero experience at all, and they voted for the guy with zero experience. Yeah, and like, and Kiki is saying, After all that, he only lost by 100 votes, and we can't find out where those 100 votes came from. He can't find out where it came from. Asked for a recount, they couldn't give him one. You couldn't give him a recount because he didn't have a reason for a recount. That's reason enough. I think I got cheated. But they did something. I just don't know what they did. Kiki says, she's like, yeah, this was it. This was the straw that broke the yeah. camel's back. I, she got the hell out of Dodge. She's like, I'm not going back yeah. to that small town Georgia ever again. So wherever Jillian is talking to her, it's not in Mount Vernon, Georgia. Which sucks because, like, what a loss. Like, Kiki is like, you can just tell, like, what an amazing person. She would have done probably great things for the town. But bye. If you're not going to vote her down for sheriff, you don't get to keep Kiki. I wonder if Kiki did some work for Georgia in this most recent election as her home state. Oh, because oh my she's God. so Wouldn't good be at canvassing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, Kiki. I'm going to try to follow her on social media or something. I want to know where she is. I want to be her friend. And then we're back to the prom. Remember how this all started with the proms? Remember? Totally, yes. So it just ends with the proms have remained integrated. And finally, in 2012, Jillian was finally allowed to go photograph it because she was attacked the last time she tried. We, we just see all these photos and all these kids. And there are a lot of interracial couples. And they're all, like, going to the prom. And they're integrated. They're having a nice time. And it ends with the closing credit song, We Still Believe, by one John Legend. We won't get old. Our hearts made a metal. While I'm thinking of it, it just made me, it made me remember, go watch The Prom on Netflix. While we're talking about proms, go watch The Prom on Netflix. It's so fucking good. I haven't watched it. It's Daisy's favorite musical, and I love it, so go watch it. Okay. You guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 160 full bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. All the series you wanted us to cover from, you know, Serial in the Staircase to Tiger King and Don't F with Cats and... The Vow. Oh, what are we doing? Oh, we just started Night Stalker. Yeah, we just started Night Stalker. We're doing Heaven's Gate. We just did Wilderness of Error on FX. If you only knew the list of what we're doing, like we have so many things coming up on the page. and so many things we've already done. It's just, it's a treasure trove. It's so good. There's also ad-free versions of these episodes. Just go patreon.com slash Obsessed or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Girl, what are we doing next? Oh, we're doing Framing Britney Spears. Yes! It's the one, you guys, I've never, honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen 
a documentary so requested. I'm like, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. It just came out. I've watched it twice. Uh, I have feelings. Yeah. I'm going to save them for the, you. See, you hear how the tone changed? Yeah. I, I'm furious. <laughs> uh, many people. And we'll get yes. to it. I mean, we're doing it. So you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for Framing Britney Spears and our hilarious and ridiculous outtakes. Oh, you can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. You can find us on Instagram at truecrimeobsessedpodcast. Every Tuesday at noon, we're going live. We call it Ladies Who Lunch. We take your questions. We talk about the week's episode. It's super, super fun. Like, hundreds and hundreds of you have been joining us, so keep that up, you guys. Yeah, at noon Eastern time. Everything we do is Eastern time because that's where we live. I know that there's some yeah. confusion there, so just want to throw it out there. Noon Eastern time on Tuesdays. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram, at Patrick Hines on Twitter. You are Jillian with a G on all the things. Yeah, and that's... I What? I just got put on the spot for some reason. Why did I just feel... I got totally <laughs> thrown off. No, that's it. We're done. Just say bye. Okay, bye. We love you. Thank you so much, John Legend. Uh, can't wait to hear your feedback. I know. <laughs> bye. Brittany was so serious and so focused. This is a girl that's coming from strength. She was so open and vulnerable. How we treated her was disgusting. Brittany had to navigate being told who she could be and what she could do. People became fascinated with her sort of unraveling. She accepted that the conservatorship was going to happen, but she didn't want her father to be conservative. That was her one request. And anytime there's that amount of money to be made, you have to question the motives of everyone close to that person. Do they always have her best interest at heart? Something is going on behind the scenes here. I didn't understand what a conservatorship is, especially for somebody capable of so much that I know firsthand she's capable of. Why is she still in this? Why is her dad making all of her decisions? What do we want? Free Britney! You need a you need a water break over there, GP. I do. Actually, my throat. This is like already half gone. Oh god. My favorite note to Matt, our editor, is like, "Girl, we can't understand a goddamn word anyone said in that because like that just happens sometimes." I feel like Jillian and John Legend are just always just with the clips they use and the yeah. editing. They're kind of looking at us like, "See, right?" Like very kind of like, "Do you see what we're trying to say here with this piece of?" with this art that we're making. You yeah. see the message we're trying to send because they let people be honest and just really dig their own graves. And sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> Don't make it about yourself, yeah. white people. Don't yeah. make it about yourself. Make a change every single day. Speak out, vote with your, you know, make it, yeah. make it, you know, vote whatever. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Just like do better. Like stop making it about us all the time. Jesus Christ. I don't exactly know where the Bible Belt is. I'm assuming this is it. I don't care what kind of church you are. I don't care. Yeah. Unless you're like a racist church. Like if you right. wave the Confederate flag. Or like one of those snake handling churches. Let's do away with those two. Again, racist church. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'm not wrong for saying the Confederate flag. Like read a book. Open I a goddamn <laughs> book. Read a book. <laughs> oh, these people. <laughs>